I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and and welcome to episode 49, in which we went on retreat. And you can tell I'm still not entirely recovered from retreat yet. I'm recording this on Monday, uh, May... What day is today? May 16th, uh, 2011. I was on my quilt retreat. If you've been a listener right along, you would know that because I talked about it a lot last week. My quilt retreat, I had Friday as a vacation day, so I drove down first thing Friday morning, got home yesterday, probably around three o'clock in the afternoon or somewhere thereabouts. I actually, I got a fair amount of sleep this weekend because since I've been a little bit run down with my allergies, I knew that if I didn't get a good night's sleep, I'd be completely wasted the next day and wouldn't get as much done. So I didn't stay up overly late, but I also didn't sleep really well. So um, I did get pretty worn out. Plus just, you know, quilt retreats, they're exhausting, (laughs) but exhausting in a good way. Uh, So I'm a little bit draggy today and the weather doesn't help. It's just a dreary, blecky day out today. So um, in general, not a very peppy upbeat day but I do feel a lot better my allergies have definitely subsided I think the rain has helped that um although Sonia my uh my roomie at retreat and I joked about how much we had to um uh, blow drip squirt and <laughs> and swallow in order to alleviate all our allergies every morning before we left our room we you know we'd blow our nose like three times we'd drip um visine into our eyes and we'd uh, spray flonase up our nostrils and we'd pop uh some Claritin and, you know, it's this whole kind of medical routine to get ourselves moving in the morning, you know, bonding over stuffing stuff up your nose is always a good thing to do with your quilting buddies. So anyway, um, we, we did okay. We survived and got a lot done. So I thought what I would do tonight is just kind of post a, a quick episode with a debriefing of my retreat weekend because out of that retreat weekend, I got two wonderful, wonderful interviews that I can't wait to share with you in the next two podcasts. So um, tonight's episode is just going to be about the retreat in general. And then uh, the next couple of weeks, you'll be getting some of those interviews. So I'm really excited about that. On the trip down to uh, to the retreat center, it's about an hour drive. So I got to listen to the podcast and finally got to listen to Quilter in the Gap, the new podcast that I was telling you about next last week. Um, Rhonda does a really nice job and she's going to be, as she sets up her podcast, that she's going to be alternating episodes. In one episode, she'll do an email interview with a quilt blogger and then the alternate uh a podcast episode will be about kind of more about her own quilting life or you know tips and techniques things she's learned along the way Uh, so you'll get to meet a whole lot of new people through her podcast to follow and that'll be good stuff so good job uh enjoyed your podcast um i also listened to the first official episode of american patchwork and quilting radio um and after doing a little more googling and a couple of people left comments and stuff what i suspected might be the case does seem to actually be true that it really isn't a new uh podcast at all it is um pat sloan's creative talk radio now in cahoots with american patchwork and quilting so it's now american patchwork and quilting radio 
I did have, uh, I listened to her first episode, which had a really nice interview with Carrie Nelson, um, who, if you've been listening to this podcast for any time at all, you know that I'm a fan of Carrie Nelson, not only because of her quilt designs, she does do very nice quilt designs, both using, you know, pre-cuts, but also she has several books that are more traditional, um, but just gorgeous uh quilt designs as well. Um, But she's a wonderful writer, and I really love Carrie Nelson's blog as well. Um, She's just a hoot, so I enjoyed listening to that interview as well. So I did listen to both of those podcasts and enjoyed them. But again, you know, it was only an hour trip, so I couldn't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. I'm once again a little bit behind, but I've got actually a flight coming up next week, so I'll be able to catch up on some more then. I seem to only ever listen to podcasts when I'm on the move. I don't often get to listen to them at home. Um, The other fun, cool thing that happened, this new thing, I guess I should say, lots of fun, cool things happened this weekend. But the other new thing that happened was um, several of us, two carloads, in fact, did a short little shop hop down the road from the retreat center. There's a relatively new quilt shop in that area. Um, I think she's only been open about a year. And it's called Quilter's Daughter. And for any of you in Western New York, um, it's Quilter's Daughter in Perry Center, New York. She unfortunately does not have a website yet. So I did pick up her card. If I can find where I packed it, I will post it in the show notes to this episode. Hopefully I can find that. However, one of our guild members has apparently offered to help her build a website. So we're hoping she's got one coming up soon. Her shop is only open on the weekends because the owner, who I think if I remember correctly was named Claudia, uh, she works full time. And this uh, quilt shop she does on the side, which it's hard to imagine doing a quilt shop on the side. But I have to say, you know, I, to be honest, I'm I'm not sure really what I was expecting when I went into this quilt shop, but it was really nice. I mean, I, well, I dropped a bundle <laughs> That I wasn't expecting to drop. Um, those of you who follow me on Twitter, I think I did tweet a picture of the fabric I bought. Uh, she had, quite, I think, a whole line of McKenna Ryan fabrics, which I had seen a lot of times in catalog, but I had never met in person yet. <laughs> and, and I just, I believe the phrase I used at the time was drop dead and drooling over this <laughs> fabric. It just really affected me viscerally, so it had to come home with me. Um, that was an unexpected... <laughs> expenditure of the weekend. And I have no idea what I'm going to do with the fabric, but I still just periodically take it out and pet it. Um, in fact, when we got back to the um, to the retreat center, I have a portable design wall that I inherited from mom. And this was the first opportunity I've had to use it. And that's a whole other story because unfortunately it did not include the instructions for setting it up in the bag. Um, mom must have lost those somewhere along the way. So um, another new friend, Lori, and I managed to get it set up, but not correctly. We still had pieces left over, (laughs) but you know, it worked. So that was okay. Um, In any case, when we got home from Quilter's Daughter, I actually hung up the fabric I just bought on the design wall so that everybody could ooh and ah over it. And everybody agreed it was gorgeous. So we just left it up there for a little while. Um, In any case, the Quilter's Daughter really was truly a wonderful quilt shop. And as one of the other women at the retreat said, it's really darn good that it's not any closer to me because I would be there all the time spending a lot of money. And fortunately, it is an hour away from me. So it's it's not a big shop by any means. It's in what looks to me like an old church. Uh, so it's like an old New England style church, kind of a one room sort of thing. All, you know, beautiful hardwoods and everything just has a lot of um, ambiance to it to begin with. 
But then her taste in fabric, it was like right in my wheelhouse. There there was almost nothing in there that I wouldn't have been attracted to and buy, with the possible exception of the 30s section. I'm not huge into the 1930s repros, but um, a lot of folks are, and she had a very nice section of them. I was particularly impressed with, uh, she had a huge selection of flannels that were just gorgeous, a lot of unusual flannels too. And, you know, really just everything. I, I loved everything in the shop and, you know, said so with my wallet. So <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Those Again, those of you who are in Western New York and particularly anybody in the Southern tier, as we call it, of New York State, you're going to want to check out The Quilter's Daughter in Perry Center. She's open, um, I think it's Friday evenings and then Saturday and Sunday for a few hours each time. But again, hopefully she'll have a website up soon. Um, I also, I mentioned to you that I was given one of those portable so easy sewing tables for um, Mother's Day, and I was really hoping against hope it would get to me before retreat. And 7 o'clock Saturday night, I got a text from my husband that it had been delivered at the house. And I decided at that point, you know, the fleeting thought did pass. Do I make the two-hour round trip and drive home and get it? Uh, But I decided not to, partly because, yeah, that would have been a ridiculous waste of gas, but also because the project I was working on didn't actually really require a lot of sewing. So I wasn't really using my sewing machine at that point. And I knew I'd only be using it for maybe an hour the next day. So it didn't really seem worth driving all the way home. And it's a good thing I didn't because something I didn't really think about in my excitement about getting this table, although I had made this comment to my husband earlier in the week. So I don't know why it didn't sink in. I got the table, but I do not yet have the insert. They have to uh, special special cut the insert to match your machine. They don't seem to have them just naturally in stock. So the insert will come later, which, you know, I know to be the case because that's how it worked with my sewing table, my permanent sewing cabinet that I bought. You know, I got the cabinet, was able to bring that home, but I had to wait another 10 days or so for the insert to get to me. So I have the sewing table. It is currently half assembled in my sewing room. Um, I'm waiting to get the insert and then, dang it, I'm going to use it for something, even though I don't have another retreat coming up until like next May or whenever I get to go on one next. I did, however, uh, Jan does have one, Jan in my uh, guild that is not a guild, and she had hers at the retreat. And so I periodically would go over and just put my hands on it and kind of, you know, wiggle it around (laughs) to make sure it was really as sturdy as I thought it would. But, you know, I I certainly respect Jan's opinion and she raves about this thing. So I'm really looking forward to being able to use it. I, I am debating now. I didn't order any of the inserts that went with it. There's all these special attachments and things you can get to go with the sewing table. And the only one I'm sort of debating now, based on my experience at the retreat this weekend, is maybe I should order the light box um, attachment. There's You can order this, um, <laughs> I think in terms of computer, you can order an add-on that is a, um, a light box, essentially, that kind of slides into where your sewing machine would normally sit in this. And I could see where that might be useful. I don't own a light box, and I'll tell you a little bit in a minute about how I set up to do light boxy kinds of things. But after using my sort of jerry-rigged light box this weekend, I'm kind of thinking, boy, it would be sort of handy to have something that was really sort of made to be a light box. So I might eventually get that add-on. It's it's not all that expensive, certainly no more expensive than buying a regular light box. Um, so, you know, I might think about that. But in any case, right now, I just I just want my sewing table. Okay, so on retreat... I worked on one project, really, and one project only until the very, very bitter end of Sunday afternoon right before I left. The project I work on was, as I had said last week that I intended to work on, was it's um, the nice, uh, it's a wall hanging, not a huge wall hanging. Um, I didn't measure it. 
30 inches ish, I would say. Uh, it's named Serengeti and it's designed by Tony uh, Malloy. And the kit is available through Big Forks Bay Cotton Company. And I did buy the kit, not just the pattern. And I'm really, really, really glad I did, especially after working on it this weekend. Um, it's a lion's head and you kind of see him in profile and then his mane is all over the place and it kind of comes out beyond the borders. It's it's absolutely a beautiful, beautiful design. And as I said in my last episode, I was really impressed with this kit just opening it up and looking at it. I'm even more impressed with it now that I've used it. Um, any of you who have used kits before, you know, sometimes they can be a little tricky where the instructions aren't really clear or you're not entirely sure how you're actually supposed to get all the pieces you need out of the piece of fabric they sent you. You know, there's little things like that that can sometimes hit you up with a kit. Uh, this kit was just about as idiot proof as you could get <laughs> with a kit, which is, you know, what I need. Not only, I think I'd talked about the fact that all the fabrics were, they were very attractively presented in the kit itself, but then they were also numbered and the instructions for how you cut it was numbered. So it was very easy to keep straight what fabric you were using. But the other thing I was really impressed with was um, that the, the, pa- the pages with the patterns of each individual piece on them, the pages, there were four pages in all. And the pieces were grouped together on the pattern page by fabric. And the fabric was cut exactly to the size. So when I went to trace the pieces, I traced them onto my, I was using Pellon paper-backed fusible web. And so I'd trace them onto the paper side using my sort of jerry-rigged light box, which by the way is my extension table, my plexiglass extension table for my sewing machine. Um, I just take it off the sewing machine and set it, I just... I didn't even have my sewing machine set up most of the weekend because this was all I was doing. I had it set up on the table, and then I have one of those table lights that you flip up to turn on, and you flip it down to turn it back off. And so I'd flip it fully extended so it would lay flat on the table and slide it underneath the plexiglass, and that creates my light box. It works really well except for two things. Um, The first thing is that it does create more of a spotlight effect rather than an overall light, so you had to... Um, As I was working on different parts of the paper, I had to keep shifting the light around to get it into the right place. But, you know, that's kind of a minor irritant, Um, except for the fact that the legs of my plexiglass table sometimes created issues because I couldn't get the light, you know, directly where the leg was. And if I had the paper situated in such a way that some of the pieces were on top of where that leg is, you know, there were shadows cast and everything. But, you know, for the most part, I could deal with it. And then the other piece is once you've had that light sitting under your plexiglass table for a couple of hours at a time, which I did, it can start to heat up a little bit. So periodically, I would just have to pull it out and let everything cool down a little bit. I mean, nothing was in danger of melting or fusing or catching on fire. It was just getting me a little uncomfortable because I'm hovering over this thing for hours on end. um, And I just felt like I'm going to burn out my hot light and those things aren't cheap. So I would you know, every couple hours I'd pull it out and turn it off and just go wander around for a little bit, take a little bit of a break, let everybody cool down, including me, and then go back and set everything back up. But in any case, that kit was really nice because I would trace one page, a full page of pieces onto one section of my Pellon fusible web. And then I would take the piece of fabric that one part of the um, pieces were to go on, and I would just cut the fusible web into that 
section, you know, so I'd have a page size piece of fusible web and it might have two or three different groupings based on the fabric. And so I'd just cut out that one grouping. I'd fuse that directly to the fabric. It was really easy to tell what direction you had to have it on. So you knew you were getting all the right pieces out of that fabric. Um, there was not a whole lot of waste. I mean, they did an excellent job sizing the fabric to the pieces. I didn't really have any big scraps left. It was really very, very well done. So it took me... I think I spent pretty much all of Friday that I was working, frankly, <laughs> tracing. I would say it was probably three hours, maybe four hours total, that I spent just tracing these stinking pieces because there were a lot of them, and many of them were very, very, very small. Uh, so I spent most of Friday tracing. I might have started cutting out some on Yeah, I must have. I think I started cutting some out on on Friday as well. And the thing about cutting is, again, and I think way back when I mentioned these scissors in a uh, episode as a recommendation, or it might have been in one of my newsletters, but I have, I think they're by Clover. Hang on, let me go check. Yep, they're Clover. They're the blue-handled applique scissors. Very, very sharp and pointy. They're about five inches long total. And the blade is just just a hair serrated. They're just a little toothy. And what that does is it really grips the fabric as you're cutting. So you don't get any bending or folding or um, you're, you're not fraying anything. They just cut precisely. And that was especially important on this particular project um, because unlike your typical like applique flowers where you've kind of got these nice big curves, um, some of the pieces had nice big curves, but most of them, you know, you're cutting pieces of hair. <laughs> so they're very... Um, tiny jaggedy edges that you're trying to cut around and get it just precise so it'll actually look like real hair and not just like some sort of mangled fabric mess when you're done and I was just so thrilled that I had these scissors because they made it so much easier uh, to do so that was an excellent um, little addition to my tool case I bought those years ago um, at my mom's suggestion you know once again something mommy taught me and that they've been very very useful so if you're doing any applique or planning on doing applique, I really strongly recommend these Clover applique scissors. Let's see. Oh, the other thing I found very useful in kind of an odd way, another thing I inherited from my mother is an Omnigrid. Uh, it's a portable cutting board with the, it's one of these with the ironing pad on one side and the other side is a cutting mat. I think it's probably about 12 by 18 and then it folds in half and that's, there's no pockets or anything involved. It's just the, the ironing pad and the cutting mat. So when it folds flat, um, when you fold it in half, it folds flat. It lays very, very flat. And then it's got this little Velcro thing that comes over the top to hold it closed. I hadn't actually been able to use it before this because usually when you go to classes and such, there's there's cutting mats and stuff out there and you don't have enough room when you're in a class at your table, usually at least where I've been going to classes. I don't have a lot of room next to me to be setting this stuff up, but at retreat, it's a different matter. And so I had this thing with me, um, partly because I knew doing the fusing I was going to do, I would want to have a little ironing pad right at my side so I wouldn't have to keep hopping up for every piece and go to the ironing board because um, we have shared ironing boards at retreat. You can only plug in so many irons without blowing a fuse in the conference center. So we've got this kind of, we've got it down to a science to how many um, little, how many people bring ironing boards that everybody then uses. Uh, in any case, you can use, like some people have the little travel irons and I have, what I brought with me for this purpose this time was 
I have a clover mini iron that I was using for fusing. And so I wanted this ironing pad next to me. And what I didn't think about that actually turned out to be most useful for this foldable ironing pad cutting mat was that because I had all of these, I mean, probably not quite a hundred pieces, maybe, maybe there were a hundred pieces. There's at least like 70 pieces or so. And some of them tiny. I mean, we're talking about the size of a, like a thumbnail tiny. And I was sitting um, at a table towards the back of the room, which had a fair amount of traffic. There's an ironing board behind me that people were going to. And then I was also sitting right in front of where our silent auction was and all this. So there were people walking by and I was just petrified that somebody would walk by a little too fast and these pieces would go blowing all over the floor. So what I would do is whenever I was going to get up and move away from the table, I would fold the ironing pad over on top of the cutting mat where all these pieces were lying and just flip the Velcro closed to make sure it wouldn't get knocked off. And it held all of my pieces with in there. It was kind of like one of those puzzle keepers, you know, where if you're going to be doing a puzzle and you need to move the puzzle, you close it all up and you can move it. That's exactly what this did for that case. So again, you know, here's my little tip of the day. If you're going to be doing um, some sort of applique or something, have something like that with you that you can close all the pieces into Um, And have them handy, but keep them from blowing away so that you have headaches. Uh, So that worked well for me. And then, of course, the fusing. I already mentioned using the Clover Mini Iron. I loved that thing because what I would do is as you get each piece in place, you just kind of tap it a little bit with that Clover Mini Iron to sort of hold it down, but not completely fuse it so that if you have to move it later, you can. And trust me, I had to keep moving some of those pieces. I had more problems getting them on there. And the reason I did was because the pressing sheet I have, and when you do applique, um, I don't know always, I haven't done enough applique to know this, but the applique I've done, I do always use a pressing sheet. Generally speaking, you build your applique on the pressing sheet, and then you can move it from the pressing sheet to the background, wherever, whatever you're going to eventually move it to, to baste it down or fuse it down or however you're going to do that when you're doing fusible applique because the pressing sheet, the fusible, will not stick to. So you can build it there and fix it if you need to and get it exactly right before you move it onto your background fabric and then press it down. Um, now, the problem, and I was doing that with this Serengeti project, you you kind of build the lion in pieces. So like first they have you do his eye, which, by the way, took me two hours in and of itself to get that stinking eye done because I wasn't doing it right. But (laughs) that's another story. Once I kind of got the system down and figured out how to do all this, it started going ever so slightly fast, faster after that. So you build the eye first, then you build the nose, then you build, um, oh, sorry, eye first, then ear, then nose, and then you kind of build the mane all around it. So I was doing all that parts on the pressing sheet. Well, the problem is my pressing sheet is actually a craft pressing sheet. Um, Pressing sheet, also known as a Teflon sheet. You'll hear that word used as well. But mine being a craft pressing sheet, it's actually kind of a brownish color. So it's not actually really see-through. I mean, I could see through it when I set up my little light table thing and I had the pattern for the lion's head, you know, the totally done pattern that they give you of where all the numbering, kind of a paint-by-number look to it. I taped that then to my um, extension table and then I laid the pressing sheet on top of it and then I'd build on top of the pressing sheet so that I could sort of kind of see that pattern. Unfortunately, because it's brown and particularly as it started, you know, getting towards night and darker out and you didn't have quite as much ambient light, I would have to periodically tape parts of the um, P2 
pieces that I'd already fused, I'd have to tape them down to the pressing sheet where they belonged and then flip the whole pressing sheet up so I could see with the pattern what was coming next. Obviously, that whole process slowed me down quite a bit and it was a little less exact. So my whole lion's head came out just a hair smaller than he was really supposed to be based on the pattern. doesn't matter because he's all in proportion to himself. Um, and you would never have known had I not just told you. But that's I'm using this as an example of why having a different kind of pressing sheet would have been very helpful, which my roomie, who I've already mentioned, Sonia, of course not until after I was finished <laughs> with the whole stinking lion's head, said to me something about, well, can't you, you know, the pressing sheet, you can see through your pressing sheet. And I said, no, I can't really see through my pressing sheet. Well, she showed me her pressing sheet, which is actually called an applique pressing sheet, and it's white, and you can actually see the pattern quite easily through it. So um, this afternoon I sat down online and I've ordered myself an actual applique pressing sheet. I still like my big craft one. It's a little bit heavier too, I think, than an applique pressing sheet. And the one I have, I actually bought years ago when I bought some Angelina fibers. And for Angelina fibers, you really do need something kind of bigger and heavier, mostly to keep those things under control because they're like glitter. They end up all over the floor, all over your clothes, all over everything when you're using them. And so you need kind of a bigger, heavier pressing sheet to keep them in one place. So there is use for both types of pressing sheets, in my opinion. But I'm looking forward to getting an applique pressing sheet so I could actually see the stinking pattern next time I use one. Um, and the other thing, I did have a little bit of trouble with the fusible not actually... St- it would, like when I peeled the paper off the back of the piece before I would fuse the piece down, half of the, the fusible would actually stick to the paper, but only with certain fabrics. And what I what I figured out, I mean, for the most part, it worked great, but there was this one fabric that it seemed to be constantly not holding to. And what I finally realized is that fabric was one where um, the way they had done it in the kit was this one set of pieces were all cut out of the fabric right side up, and then the second set of pieces were all cut out of the fabric of the uh, the right side down. So you're cutting it, you know, you're using the fabric backwards. That's not explaining it well, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, you flip it over and it's a little bit lighter. Now, all of these fabrics are batiks, um, so it's only a hair lighter in this case, but it's just enough that when you see the lion's mane, you can see, yeah, there are definitely some lighter pieces in there. And those pieces were the pieces that the fabric, that the fusible was not sticking to. And so in those cases, I was actually fusing the fusible to the front side, to the right side of the fabric, and it wasn't sticking. So I don't know whether... It was extremely humid in this weekend, um, particularly in the room where the retreat center, where we sew in the retreat center, because it's sort of a walkout basement room. So it's kind of half underground, you know, the front is not, but the back is. And so it tends to be a little bit damper in that room than even the rest of the building. Plus, it was just raining all weekend, so it was super, super humid in the room. And that might have affected the fusible, but it really, it just seemed to be on this one fabric. So it was really interesting to me to think, Maybe it's just that fusible does not stick very well to the right side of batiks. Not that you would be fusing the right side of batiks all that often, but it was just a little interesting tidbit in my weekend. And of course, caused me grief in some cases because I have some very, very tiny little pieces out of that particular fabric that would not fuse. And I would have to go back in there with glue and try to be gluing them down instead. And that was... Yeah, there. you know, for as much as I love this piece and I love the kit, there were a few junctures in which I was cursing out the designer pretty good <laughs> as I was working on it. Um, so anyway, once it, once I got it, it, like I said, tracing, I did most of that on Saturday, on Friday, um, did a little bit of the cutting Saturday night, 
or Friday night, finished the cutting Saturday morning. I think that took me most of the morning. It really did take a long time to do the cutting. And then I did the fusing and I finally finished all the fusing. I think it was about 1130 Saturday night. And then I left, I did the borders Sunday morning. So, um, the borders really didn't take all that long and they weren't that hard. There's three borders, two inners, and then one wider outer. And the only problem is that part of the main comes over the border. So you have to kind of watch where that main is as you're sewing the borders on. It was a little tricky, but it, it went better than I thought it was going to do. So now all I have left to do, I've got the whole top completely done. All I have left to do is a running stitch around the outside of every one of those stinking little pieces. <laughs> and then, um, the only machine quilting I'm going to do is going to be on the border. So I'm going to do that running stitch. I think I'm just going to Maybe I'll put some stabilizer on the back of it or something. I'm not sure quite yet whether it needs it because there is so much fusible. I didn't bother cutting away any of the fusible or anything because this is just a wall hanging, so I don't really care how stiff it is. So I may not need stabilizer on top of that. I'm just going to have to play around a little bit with some scraps and figure out how to do that. I am planning to have it done by my daughter's graduation. I decided it would be her graduation gift from high school, um, but I did already show it to her. It's kind of hard for me to keep things from her a surprise because she and I are the ones that are home alone together all the time. <laughs> when, it, when my son's gone and my husband's away at college, my daughter and I tend to be in the house a lot. And so she's around during all my prime sewing time. So I decided I would go ahead and show it to her. But thinking of it as her graduation gift gives me a natural deadline by which I need to get it done. And we did talk about she would like to bring it to her dorm, so I guess I'll let her. So um, that was my really my one project. The only other thing I did, I had some uh, stack and slash flannel blocks that I brought with me just in case I needed a break from the Serengeti project. Um, and so Sunday afternoon... I decided since I had brought one of the ironing boards and irons, even though I was done with my borders by about 1030 Sunday morning, I knew most people wanted to hang out another couple hours. So I didn't want to short them an iron. So I went ahead and just um, squared up those stack and slash blocks. And at some point I need to get them. I need to get that done, but I'm not going to worry about that till later in the summer. Um, So it was really the only two things I did all weekend. The other thing we took was I had mentioned that we had the thread painting class and I really enjoyed that a lot. That was a lot of fun of us. I think there were about six of us, five, six, one, two, three, four, five of us that took it. And I realized in taking the class that I actually already kind of had most of the knowledge. I've, I've watched some videos and I've got several books on thread painting. I've read a bunch of articles on it. So I kind of already knew in my head everything that she was saying, but there's always a difference watching somebody do it, you know. And she had some suggestions about particular materials to use and, and that kind of thing that were very helpful. And she was a very enjoyable teacher, and I loved seeing her work. Um, was very good, and it was good to have the practice. So all of that, you know, it was a, it was a very good class um, altogether. Sometimes when I take classes, I realize huh, I know more than I thought I did. But knowing something and being able to do it are two different things. So it was good to have that kind of a practice and. I have an interview with her for an upcoming, with the teacher from the thread painting class for an upcoming episode. So that'll be fun to share with you too. And so between the work that I did on the Serengeti project, uh, which again, wasn't the first time I've done feasible applique, but it was the most intense time I'd ever done. I've never done anything that complicated. Um, so between the work on that and the thread painting class, I actually now know how I'm going to proceed with my stash mystery challenge project. Um, the one based on or inspired by children's artwork. And it's going to be a combination of um, fusible applique and thread painting. So I'm looking forward to being able to get started on that. I probably won't be able to get started on that for a couple of weeks because I'm actually out of town 
pretty much all next week. So I'm just going to have to kind of keep these ideas in my head for a little while longer. Um, But retreats are really, if you get a chance to go on a retreat, go on a retreat. I mean, I know sometimes I think, you know, boy, I could probably really get more done if I'm just home. Because when you go on retreat, you always forget something. So everybody's, you know, kind of picking up from each other. Hey, somebody got a pen. Hey, somebody got this. Hey, somebody got that. And you're all kind of swapping stuff when you're there. And obviously, you know, if you're just home and in your sewing machine, sewing room, you've got everything you need. And so you can, you know, focus and maybe get a lot more done. But when you're on retreat, you're having more fun doing it, first of all. <laughs> and and you're away from the phone and you're not cooking for yourself and you're not cleaning up after dinner and all of that kind of stuff. So there's a, a lot of um, those kinds of reasons to go on retreats. But they're also a great way to pick up tips from other people. Um, learn about new tools. I mean, there's always sort of this, everybody's scoping out each other's storage solutions. You know, hey, that's a cool way that you've got, you know, that's a cool um, a little set of shelves you've got, or hey, that's a really neat bin. Where'd you get that? You know, you're kind of swapping those sorts of ideas, you know, plus finding out things like, heck, there is an applique pressing sheet that you can actually see through <laughs> stuff like that, that you may not have been aware of before until somebody pulls out one next to you and starts using it. Um, we did also get an idea for a potential future challenge from for our guild that is not a guild. Our the retreat attendees this at this retreat were probably about two thirds from our guild, and about a third friends of people from our guild. So there's you know a bunch of new people there, and there's this one table of um, a couple of women from our guild and then a bunch of their friends and some of them are related to each other. I didn't really, I never do figure out they they come frequently. I don't really know who all is related to whom, but anyway. Um, so several of them belong to a different guild and two of them were working on this challenge from their guild and it's they called it like a, a bag exchange or something and, and what it is is everybody who participates in the challenge you put some amount of fabric and I don't have a lot of the details but they put it and they put some fabric into a bag and everybody swaps bags of fabric and you don't know whose fabric you have nor do you know who has your fabric and you are supposed to take the fabric that you get in the swap and make a purse out of it, a purse or a tote bag or something. And then when the swap is over, um, everybody brings the purses that they've created and they hang them on a bulletin board or they put them out on a table or whatever. And then you go claim the purse that was made out of the fabric that you had contributed. So it's this kind of secret Santa-ish kind of thing to it um, that, although... I guess in Secret Santa, you know who you have. In this case, nobody knows who each other have. You don't know whose fabric you've got. You don't know um, who has your fabric. So it's all this kind of big surprise at the end. Um, And the purses that were made at the retreat were dang cute. So um, one of the members of our guild was saying, oh, that would be a lot of fun to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if in 2012 we end up with a bag challenge of some sort. Um, And we also got talking about scraps. I, I believe I have done a short interview in the past, back one of my Quilters Like the Rest of Us interviews with Charlotte from my guild, who um, we view as our resident scrap quilting queen. Charlotte does beautiful scrap quilts. And she ended up talking about Jan, um, one of the other members of our guild, had been talking to her about her scrap quilt system and had Charlotte kind of talk to all of us. So Charlotte did this little mini class on her scrap organizational system and how she kind of goes about building her scrap quilts. And it was really, really interesting. And so, yes, I snagged her for an interview as well. So we're going to have an episode featuring Charlotte, our scrap quilting queen. Um, And we were also talking after Charlotte did her little bit that, you know, maybe our guild has so days um, most months, not all months, but they're like the Saturday following our guild meeting. 
And we were talking about the idea that maybe one of our upcoming Guild So Days should be a scrap day where we just all bring our scraps and then we stand there and together and cut them into usable pieces and then do some sort of a scrap swap as part of it. So, you know, those kind of things. Um, there And there's another idea that kind of got generated out of retreat that I'm going to be working on, um, putting together kind of a small group uh, based on a particular topic, too, that I'll keep you posted if that ends up getting pulled off. Um, so, you know, retreats are just a great, they're this sort of creative hotbed of all this stuff going on. And they're just, they're a lot of fun. You know, I really enjoyed myself. I'm exhausted. Um, I'm glad that I got done what I got done. And I am looking forward to finishing it and looking forward to seeing everybody else's. You know, a lot of people got a lot done, but still have to do the finishing of it. So it'll be fun over the next couple of months of our guild meetings to see people during show and tell actually saying, hey, I started this on retreat and here it is done. That's always fun too. Um, so get ready for the two upcoming episodes that I have mentioned. We have the interview with the thread painting teacher and the interview with the scrap quilting queen. So get ready for those. Okay, and now let's move on to listener comments. And since it's only been a few days, I don't have a ton of comments to go through. Uh, the first is that um, Noni of Noni's Quilting Dreams did leave a bit of a... Um, it sent me an email about <laughs> entitled, What Do Pool Noodles and Applique Have to Do With Each Other? Which, by the way, Noni was a great subject line <laughs> for an email. And she had suggested that um, she picked up a method off of the quilt show but from Sue Garman, who does, what she does is Sue buys those pool noodles and then she cuts it slightly larger than the background of her applique and then rolls the applique background over the pool noodle and stores it easily for transport. And I'm sorry that I didn't actually pick up that email until after I got home because I was trying to figure out how to bring my lion head, my Serengeti project, home when it was only fused down and it was pouring freaking rain when I was packing up my car to get home. So I had kind of rolled it loosely around the pressing sheet, so at least the pressing sheet kind of gave it a little bit of body and then I stuck it under my coat and carried it very carefully out to the car. A pool noodle would have been very helpful, so keep that tip in mind. Thank you, Noni. Sherry also sent me an email, and she, I'm going to, it's a fairly long email. Sherry, I, I always love Sherry's email, but let me see if I can find a couple of highlights here. She has tried many methods of applique, and she has two projects that are all applique. One is the raw edge fused down types, similar to what I've done with the Serengeti, but she's going to satin stitch around the outside by machine. I'm not doing that. I'm just doing a running stitch on mine. Her other applique project is um, a hand applique with freezer paper and the edges folded under. And she says she finds applique far easier than paper, paper piecing. I, I'm actually the opposite. A lot of people, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, hating paper piecing. I love paper piecing. I find it actually a fairly simple process and really enjoy doing it. And Sherry also says she doesn't know if her guild has retreats. And Sherry, I think you need to find that out because they are great. And a lot of places have retreats. Um, if your guild does not have retreats, check your local quilt shop. Um, I know ours periodically has their own retreats. Other quilt shops in in our area do their own retreats. Plus, there are just sort of general quilt retreats. If you look in the back of quilting magazines, you'll see a bunch advertised. And I've actually gotten to the point where I'm kind of wanting to do one of those week-long quilt camps. Um, somebody once asked what the difference was between a quilt camp and a quilt retreat. And in my understanding, it's just a matter of the amount of time. This may not be true. I mean, some people may certainly use the phrases interchangeably, but a retreat tends to be just a weekend, 
and it tends to be a group that does it. A camp tends to be longer, maybe five days, maybe a week. Um, And camps also tend to be more organized, like there will be a series of workshops, so there'll be, you know, educational components to them, whereas retreats are, you tend to just kind of bring your own stuff and work on them during the weekend. Now, obviously, those are broad stroke generalizations. And since I've never been to a quilt camp, I can't really speak with any authority on the subject. But that's kind of my understanding of what the difference is between them. Back to Sherry's email. Um, Sherry has also done some thread painting and she uh, sent me, I believe, her blog. I may have highlighted at one point in one of the newsletters. I'm not sure. I've got, I actually started a chart to keep track of whose blogs I'd highlighted in my um, newsletters. Hers is lazyquilter.blogspot.com. So check that out if you want to look at some beautiful applique projects. And you just heard my email beeping. That is not a quilt related one. Let's see whose email is this. This is from Tammy, who emailed me that she had done the wolf that I believe you're right, Tammy, I think it is by the same person um, that did the Serengeti did the lion's head because I think I remember seeing this wolf uh, pattern with the lion pattern. It's a wolf head. It's the same technique. It's fused down. Tammy said that uh, she said, I found that it took a lot of concentration and that is very, very true. Um, She did do the quilting on it when she was on retreat um, and it worked okay since it was all fused down and not a lot to keep track of. But I, for me, my my decision not to do any actual quilting at a retreat has more to do with the setup. And now that I've got this new so easy table, I'm hoping that maybe in the future I would be more willing to do machine quilting um, at the retreat because my machine would be recessed. It would be a much easier setup. Um, oh, she and she did say, uh, if you remember, I had said that I'd kind of debated between buying the, the pattern and the kit, and I I just bought the kit. Tammy says the same thing. She said, I thought I had a variety of batiks, but when it came down to it, the kit was the best idea. And she also got the thread to go with it, which helped a lot, too. I don't think mine had the option, or at least when I bought mine, I didn't notice the option of buying thread to go with it. But I think I've got plenty of thread in those colors that work with mine. But that, so that's two people that you're hearing say, if any of you do those um, patterns that come from uh, that designer or any of those, you know, very intricate animal head type things, just go ahead and do yourself a favor and buy the kit. It saves a lot of time. And um, I think in my case, I really do think it probably actually saved me money because I wouldn't have been able to buy just that little piece of batik that was just big enough. I would have had to buy a whole fat quarter, maybe even a quarter yard off the bolt. And so you would end up buying a lot more fabric than what you really need for the project. I um, posted a blog entry uh, checking in on Quilty Resolutions, and I've gotten a lot of comments on that. Um, So thank you to Jay and Beth and Quilter in the Gap and Vivian and Kate and um, Connecticut Chronicles, uh, Sue and Robin um, and Jackie. A lot of folks uh, commented on the quilting resolution check-in. So if you are ready to check in on your own quilting resolutions for 2011, uh, go ahead and leave a comment. You can leave that comment anywhere. I will get it. Oh, and Rhonda of Quilter in the Gap also added a something to the top 10 list that I'd created about uh, top 10 ways to annoy a quilter. And she says, this is from my very recent experience call and say you want to schedule your wedding on the day of the quilter's first quilt show, thus forcing your mom to request you to reschedule your wedding. She says, yeah, 
I did it. And they rescheduled to the following week. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to be out of town. <laughs> so yeah, no scheduling something on somebody's first quilt show. Um, okay, and here's another. Uh, Jackie said, another addition to the top 10 ways to annoy a quilter. When your best friend, a non-quilter who loves taking pictures of your quilt, and then puts her equipment, including tripod, on top of the quilts you have sitting on your work table. And she says her biggest fear was the dirt and grease on the mechanisms of the tripod. She was so relieved when it was all good. So thank you for those two uh, additions to the... I'm checking one more email to make sure there wasn't another... Okay, no. Another addition to the top ten list. So thank you for that. Keep, keep your top ten coming. I don't mind hearing them. And I think that's it on listener comments this time around. And uh, don't forget that the deadline for the Stash Mystery Challenge inspired by children's artwork is in June, and you can get all the information about that Stash Mystery Challenge on the Stash Mystery Challenge tab on the show notes um, on the quiltingfortherestofus.com page. So check that out. If you aren't sure whether you want to do it again, read through the instructions or the guidelines for the challenge. I think you'll find them actually pretty easy to meet. It was kind of funny at retreat because I'm doing the same challenge in my guild as well. And there were a few people there working on their challenge um, entries. So it was kind of fun to see them in progress. So um, I think that's it for this episode. You can find Quilting for the Rest of Us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. That's Sandy with a, Sandy Quilts, uh, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. I do have the separate quilting blog. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team. I especially want to encourage you to join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group because I love seeing your photos up there. Uh, join the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup to the Quiltcast Supergroup in Big Tent. You can subscribe to the free newsletter, and I promise, 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 I will try to get May's, episode, or <laughs> May's newsletter issue out this week. Um, or you can email me at sandyquilts, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z, at gmail.com, and you can find links for all of that and more good stuff, all at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And I guess until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. <laughs>